So, welcome to those Vicar Blokes on our Holy Week edition. Yeah. But don't worry if it's not Holy Week when you're listening to it. It'll yeah. fit in whenever it is. Yeah, well, yeah, okay, fair enough. Well, Christmas we... can be at, at Holy Week as well, you know. Dave asked me to do a Christmas episode. Watch a Christmas episode of this cleaner thing. Anyway, Dave, do you want to introduce yourself? Get it right? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. I, I'm Dave Coaches. Yeah, and I'm Howell the Nerdy Vicar, and on this podcast, this edition of Those Vicar Blokes, we're talking about... We're talking about the news. What were we talking about in the news? It's the Jerusalem thing. Oh, yeah. what There's still war in Jerusalem. Is it and news? Is it news, or is it something else? Yeah, that's all uh, right. We're going to talk about the cleaner, but that's in the last part. Yeah. And in the middle, sandwiched between those, we are going to run through a brief look at atonement theories and talk about what really was going on when Jesus died on the cross. Yeah, so it's that question is, how did Jesus save us from our sins? That's what we look at. And we find out that Dave didn't do his own work. So brace yourself for the music. Never done my own work yet. So hello and welcome to those Vicar Blokes. Uh, I'm here with Dave Coaches. Say hiya, Dave. Hiya, Dave. Yeah, thanks for that. Yeah, yeah. we used that in. <laughs> so, so what are we gonna? What have we been up you to? You haven't introduced yourself. Oh, I'm I'm Howell the Nerdy Vicar. Well, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They might know who we are by now, anyway. Well, they might do. Yeah. But what have we been up to then? You had your big dude, didn't you, on Sunday? Oh yeah, I've got installed as some um, as minister with responsibility for Saint Saviour's at Culpit Heath. Not just the church, the whole village, mind you. Oh. Um, as well as discipleship missionary across the mission area. So, yeah, we had a big do with loads of food. and. Did all the wine go after? No, some of the wine has been saved for the next bottle store. Oh, right, you've got loads of that. About, well, 12 bottles of the 17 went. And at interest, red wine is more popular than white wine. And I only paid £3.29 a bottle for the red and £4 a bottle for the white. Where did you get it from? Lidl's? Sainsbury's. 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 Yeah. Oh right, it's going to say three pound odd. It was cheaper than Lidl's, three thirty nine in Lidl. Flipping heck, that's that's really cheap wine, on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we had the good wine at the service as part of the Eucharist. Yeah. And like the steward said at the wedding of Cana, you serve the good wine first and the bad wine after. So the bad wine was at the party, the good wine was at the Eucharist. So it's the opposite of the water into wine story. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I turned. Something that should have been nice wine into something that was less nice wine. <laughs> yeah, it was. It, yeah, it was quite a nice do though. You know, you had the archdeacon there, yeah. Bishop Lee, and all them. All and the you had knots. your haircut for it as well, didn't I, you? Well, not for that. No, I've had my haircut for this. I've, I'm not going, for my do. No, I'm going to a wedding in a couple of weeks or next a week Saturday. So you knew you were going to cut it far too short, and you had two weeks to grow it back before you went to a wedding. That's what I was told to do. Yeah, okay. I'm not in charge of my haircut. So, you know, I take orders. So I went down the Turkish barbers and got done, you know. So that was good. I enjoyed going down there. It's all right. They don't talk to you and they just get on with it. It's great. All right, okay. Bit of an an advert for the Turkish barbers in Yate. Always good. If that's what you want to do. Yeah. So, news and Dave, what we... uh... Are you going on your holidays? 
Uh, Anywhere but for your holidays this no, year? No, well, no. Because you missed out on the barber chat, I thought I'd bring it in now. That's <laughs> what they ask you. you... <laughs> no, I'm, I'm going to um, Sharm El Sheikh in July. So we got, right, uh, nice. yeah, I've got all that booked. Yeah, I got that booked nice. ages ago. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to Dawlish next week. Dawlish? Where's that? It's, it's down south, Devon. Oh, right. Just round from Torbay, you know. Is it your your lovely caravan, like? Yeah, my caravan, yeah. Oh. And I've just fitted, I ripped out the bunk beds at the back, and I've just fitted a, a new bed in the back. Oh, right. So, you know. So it's going to be, what, four-star caravan? Gone, yeah, we've gone from six-berth, two-star, to four-berth, three-star. Oh. Yeah. Well, I'm not a fan of caravans, to be fair, so, you know, I like tents, but not caravans. But caravans. Caravans, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's how you've got to say it. So, what's on the news then? What's in the news? Well, the news, what caught my attention today was the fact that um, Jerusalem is still a battleground. That's and, not and, news. And, and, oh, it, well, it is news because <laughs> it drops out of our news, doesn't it? We forget that that still happens. Um, yet the Anglican Church will be praying for it this week. In, in the daily office, you know, we pray for those that still make Jerusalem a battleground. We do that every year, don't we? We do that, yeah, Passion Tide every year. Yeah. And um, So, yeah, it popped into the news, the story on the BBC, um, that there was violence and attacks on a mosque in Jerusalem. Oh, it's because uh, Ramadan and uh, Passover at the same time, that's what it is. Yeah, it? it's where there's two lots of people trying to coexist and they're not doing it very peaceably. Yeah, well, that's, um, that's just people, though, isn't it? Ongoing scenario, isn't it? Well, I think that's, the interesting thing is, you say it's in and out of the news, is that it's kind of like a... It's almost like a kind of liturgy uh, for the BBC, is every Christmas they have to run a story about why nobody really believes in Christmas anymore and Christmas nobody goes to church and stuff. No, but they never say... Never mind, I'm not going to say that in case there's any children listening. What? No, they never say that, no. No, no they, they never, never say, say that. That. No. that doesn't exist, do they? No, no, they never talk about that. But they do, they, they run that, and then every Easter they run a story about, like, oh, there's massive violence in in, in whatever and in Jerusalem and so on. So it's, it's, it's really a kind of... It's one of those editorial decisions, isn't it? Really? It is an editorial decision. I quite like to watch Al Jazeera news. Was um, that the Arab one? Or something? Yeah, absolutely. That's what so my father-in-law calls it. He calls it the Arab one. Well, it, it, but what it does is it gives you more news from right around the world, and doesn't aim the news at um, a particular demographic in a particular country. So, it, yeah. so it. So so practically every week there's a story about how many are killed in Jerusalem as a result of the violence, you know. And we yeah. forget how separated as a society that is. So no matter how well we think people have or haven't integrated into our societies, um, we do an awful lot of better job than, than they are there. Yeah, and you've got to remember, right, that for most of the last 2,000 years, Jerusalem's been a very peaceful place with the exception of like the Crusades and things. But for most of its history, it's kind of been all right. But we have this um, image in our head of it being a constant battleground. Because when it was part of the Ottoman Empire for most of the last 1,500 years, it's been relatively peaceful. But it doesn't serve that narrative of um, anything to do with God or religion or things I don't like uh, causes violence. So we don't we've got a false impression of it in that sort of sense. 
think about it. Do you think it's a false impression of it, or do you think we just uh, don't bother to look in that direction so it doesn't matter to us? I think it's a bit of both. I think that in, especially with the BBC and things, is they are kind of very Eurocentric in how they understand the world. So if Britain isn't involved in it or America's not involved in it, it doesn't exist. So And they've got their own agenda and their own narrative they like to, to push. So it, it fits with that narrative, isn't it? So that's why they, they don't say between... Uh, I can't remember the exact dates now, but it's between like the 13th century, 14th century. Between the Third Crusade and the First World War, Jerusalem was never conquered. Oh, that's quite interesting. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. But it so was actually, it's a, it's, a, it's a historical city of violence and a recent history of, uh, of violence, but actually a whole period in between where where peace prevailed. Yeah, the whole yeah. Middle East was very, very peaceful because it was under the same empire for a huge amount of time. But we believe that history began after the Second World War or history happened in the Middle East when, you know, British people were involved. But it kind of didn't. Because most of the problems in the Middle East happened after the First World War, where the Ottoman Empire collapsed, and basically, you know, colonialists went round with pens and drew, drew borders and said, oh, that's a country now. And that's it. Yeah. And then enough. we never asked the people. So it's a bit... It's, you know, it's a very, in historical terms, very, you know. Is that not a very simplified view of what's happened, though? Because you could make that same argument, then, couldn't you, about um, the USSR? Had we not born, drawn a border as such and made Ukraine a sovereign state, then it would still be peaceable, wouldn't it? Because Putin would be in charge. Possibly. Um, but Ukraine actually is a... Uh, a country that goes back, what, hundreds and hundreds, thousand years, really, isn't it? Yeah, but most countries do, don't they? But they became something more peaceable in between. Mm. Um, and, and not peaceable by choice, but peaceable by force. Um, yeah, it's, uh, like, it's like us, isn't it? We're, we're, we're colonised by you lot, aren't we? What, you mean as the Welsh, colonised by the English? Yeah, 1280, 1280, you know, and all that, 1280 something. Yeah, but you otherwise know. you'd be barbaric. <laughs> That's what I mean. History's always got an agenda, have not it? So yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So yeah. I think, I think the thing with Jerusalem is, you know, our impression of it as a place which has been warlike for thousands of years is not true. But I think that if it's really interesting, isn't it? If there's violence there all the time because of the politics of the region, because of water, because of economics, all sorts of complex reasons, right? Yeah. And then the BBC only report there's violence there at Easter, where then that sort of what that tells you more about the BBC than it tells you about what's happening in Jerusalem. Doesn't oh, it? you need to write some Newswatch so we can have it analysed on the on the Sunday morning. What's Newswatch? Newswatch. Oh, that's Saturday morning actually. It's before match of the day. Um, Samira Ahmed she presents this show and. You write into the BBC and moan about what their editorial choices are and what they show on the BBC news channels. Oh, yeah. And she gets to talk to the people who make those decisions and they justify their decisions. Oh. Yeah, I can't believe you've not seen Newswatch. No, I, I have a life. 
Um, you're probably not awake. It's on it about seven o'clock on a Saturday morning. You're no, probably, probably still not, tripping no. Zeds, aren't you? Yeah, probably on Saturday morning. Unless I'm going to the gym or something. I do get up on a Saturday morning to go to the gym. But it always makes that, me laugh when you say you go to the gym. Why is that funny? Well, because well, people can't actually see you on the podcast. But if they could, they wouldn't <laughs> believe you went to the gym. <laughs> Are you saying I'm not all like hench and buff? Like, yeah, you're yeah. certainly not a hench and buff. No, no, I'm not, no. No. I've got genetics. Is your favourite bit of gym equipment the same as my favourite bit of gym equipment? What's that? The vending machine. No! <laughs> no! That's definitely just... my favourite. Oh, I've got some. It's just really bad, that is. I do, I do this um, training class down there on, uh, on a Saturday morning sometimes. It's uh, like. Uh, Three minutes on the treadmill, three minutes doing strength stuff, and then three minutes punching a punch bag, and you do that three times. Right. So you've got running, combat, and strength. So I do that like three times. So it's like forty-five minutes. So you, and you, you can win the class. So this is nothing to do with the news, but Dave brought it up now. Is you can win the class because you have this heart rate monitor that measures how much effort you do. Yeah. And I've got this rival down there called <laughs> right. Yeah, not the bishop, but a rival down there who always wants to. Uh, to beat me. Ah, right. I yeah, see. but he always, gym oh, always fails. Attendance. Always fails. Yeah. Now you've, you've embarrassed him on the podcast. Well, we'll take that out. He now. might have been a listener, but now he's not going to be a listener, is he? I, I, I'll take that out. Yeah. All right. I'm on, <laughs> I'm on your side, mate. You make sure you beat him. Yeah, well, we, we're good mates for that. So it's all yeah, right. that's yeah. all right then. Yeah. Okay, so that's the news, or not the news. The news plus. The news plus. So in a minute, we'll be talking about. Uh, Good Friday, and why did Jesus die? You're listening to those Vicar Blokes on whatever platform you are listening. Don't forget to click subscribe or follow. Um, we are the top pick if you type in those Vicar Blokes on Google. Yeah, we can't straight away. Exciting. Straight away, yeah. And it tells us we're on Spotify. Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher. yeah, Stitcher and Red Circle and something else, so, loads. So. so wherever you are, we're on the websites. Don't forget to follow and subscribe. So in this section, we are going to be looking in a bit more depth at Good Friday and what happens and why Jesus died on the cross for us. Um, we're going to look at some theories of atonement. Yeah, because last week we did talk about the historical side of it, about why Jesus died, about you know historically what happened during Holy Week. Yeah, we looked at we looked at what we didn't look at why. That's I it. Think, yeah. So if you want to find that out, go and listen to last week's uh, podcast about Holy Week, where we went through the political and historical reasons why Jesus died. Basically, he just got. Whacked, didn't he, by the politicians and all that sort he, of thing? He, he, um, he was growing in power and authority, and people were looking to him and away from those that held it at the time, so he got whacked, yeah. Yeah. So, what we're looking at this time is, is sort of why Jesus died for us and what that means, because you, you do yearly in church, don't you, a lot of the time, and it's in a lot of the songs, you know, Jesus died for me. Yeah. So, what, what do you think that means then, Dave? Well, I think that it means that. In the action on the cross, in his death, and, and, and the most simple understanding of it is that um, we all sin, we all do things wrong, we all do things that that um, that 
historically would separate us from God and still do separate us from neighbour. Um, we all do those things and there should be a punishment for those that has longer consequences. But Jesus took all of our sins, all of the things we do wrong, onto himself and carried the weight of those on the cross so that we wouldn't be burdened by them anymore, that we wouldn't, they wouldn't have an eternal consequence for us in the way that they historically would have before Jesus. Yeah, so that's, that's one theory, because there's, there's three theories of atonement. Now, Dave did say, oh, I need to book up on them. And have you booked up on them? No. No. So I did, I did. Preach a bit of Christus Victor this morning, though. Well, Christus Victor, what's that? Christus Victor, well, that is basically where there's a, a cosmic deal done between God and the devil, where God says to the devil, look, what I'll do, because you've got such a strong grip on humanity and they're all following you and not following me, maybe primarily concerned with the chosen people at the time, um, the Hebrew people, he says, what I'll do is I'll give you my son instead, my only son, and he'll be the sacrifice, and you can have him and kill him, and 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 then you'll let the rest of the people free and, and not not keep your grip on them. Um, so then Jesus dies on the cross, and all of us are released from our sin, in effect, um, only for the, for the, the devil to be duped by Jesus rising from the dead three days later. So that's Christus Victor, Christ's victory over Satan in that moment. That's the oldest. That's the oldest theory, isn't it? That's He's going to tell me I'm Calvinist now, aren't you? No, no, you can't be Calvinist because that's really old. That's like a thousand years before Calvin. Oh, well, that's all right then. <laughs> so we need to get Dave some books to read. But uh, I, I read them, but you know, it's, I only retain some knowledge. Yeah, it's not. It's not too bad. It's basically yeah the idea. I call it the kind of dra- jailbreak theory. So the idea is, if put really simply, is the devil wants to kill Jesus because he's God's son, and he thinks that he has won when he sort of eggs on everybody to kill him. So he's a bit like the witches in Macbeth. That's how I understand the devil, really. He's a bit like the witches in Macbeth, where he's like egging people on, winding people up, trying to get the people to kill Jesus, which they do, right? But there's a deal that because we sin, the devil can hold everybody in captivity, in prison. Yeah. But because Jesus never sinned, when he dies and goes to the place of the dead, where everyone is is kept, because he didn't sin, he can then let everybody else go. Yeah. That's the well, That's, that's the what thing. he said. Is it? Weren't you listening? It was a bit, yeah. It was a bit what he said, but, yeah. you know, I gave the shorter version. Yeah. I did it more like it's just more told like a story, really. Or that's why I call it the jailbreak theory. That uh, um, and there's a one. There's only a few good bits in the Passion of the Christ, and there's one bit where the devil realizes he's got it wrong and then screams at the sky, which is quite good. But uh, but I'm not really keen on that. Uh, do you like that sort of way of understanding it? I think as we move through the through the. Um... Through the theories, I I realise that actually I don't wholly subscribe to any of them, 
but think that there's some truth in all of them. You're so Anglican. I know. I saw Church of England that. I know. Well, that's that's <laughs> why I'm why I'm an Anglican, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. of course. <laughs> but I think, yeah. But the the interesting thing is, from a Christian perspective, there is no doctrine of the atonement. There is no um, way in which the church has said this is how you are saved from your sins. That's not true. Yes, it is. No, it's only half true. What's what's well, because for a large part of the church, they subscribe to just one theory of atonement and disregard the other two. Oh. So so, so there's a lot that would only have you believing in penal substitution. All right, do you want to describe? No, you explain that one. No, go no, on. Because no, I didn't do my own work, so I'd have to make sure I got it more accurate. So oh, okay. You go for the accurate first. <laughs> okay, right. And I'll see why I only scored mid-50s for my essay on it. Okay, fine. Um, so penal substitution is the one that kind of is the most in the culture, really. Um, and what it says is that basically that Jesus is the sacrifice which must be paid for our sins. So it's not penal substitution is a kind of branch of what they call satisfaction theories. Yeah. Done by Ansam. So I'm teaching Dave now, getting a bit technical. Um, but basically what it says is that there's a punishment that needs to be satisfied for sin. So there's a price to our sin and somebody for justice to be done has to pay that price. OK, so what Jesus does is he takes that price on himself on our behalf. So if you think of it like this is that. So you're up in court and you've murdered somebody and you're going to be sent to jail for life. And then Jesus turns up and says, no, don't send him to jail for life. I'll go to jail for life instead of him uh, and he can go free. That's it. That's penal substitution. Yeah, a bit like a bit like the theory. In, and we see it in lots of films, don't we, where it's a no, don't don't kill them, kill me instead sort of. That's a- action going on, but it's because of the sin that they're being killed. It's the self-sacrifice. You, know, you, you put your place, you put your place on the cross in place of everybody else. That's it. So it's kind of like, uh, and, and that enables God to be able to forgive us because Jesus died for our forgiveness. Somebody's got to pay the price for the sin, so therefore Jesus takes it on Himself to to do that. Yeah, it's my least favorite. Atonement theory. It's my least favorite atonement theory as well, um, because it 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 paints God as some somebody who who has to have retribution, um, and and I don't think that's what we're called to have as followers of Christ. So I struggle to see how that ties in with being made in God's image. And I I think I struggle with it a bit because it's not just us because Jesus hasn't sinned. So the idea of the satisfaction is someone's got to pay the price. So I can see that Jesus says, I'll pay the price instead of him. But then it doesn't, this idea of is asked, God's wrath has to be satisfied for there to be justice. Then if that isn't impacted on us, then there, yeah. there is no justice. Yeah, that's very true. And Do you I, see I, what I mean? But I think that's it's actually... Why, it's why a lot of people that aren't very comfortable with the with the song in Christ Alone. Yeah. Because um, it... it, it 
plays very heavily into the penal substitution model. Yeah, I think the trouble is with it, I suppose, it's a very modern uh, theory. It's sort of like 17th century, something like that. So it's not... Um, but very popular. Well, it's very popular, but it's popular with American evangelicals. So I think it's sort of something... And that, British evangelicals. Well, yeah, but it comes... It was popularised mostly through that. And I can see why it is popular, but I think... It has, for me, it's got lots of issues. That The first issue is the one about justice, but the second issue is that it gets us off the hook if we're not careful. It's, it's Well, I can do anything wrong I like because Jesus has already paid the price. Yeah. I don't have to be transformed. don't have to live differently. Um, it, it, yeah. I think it's, it's such an overreaction towards this idea of... Um, working towards your salvation it's a kind of like overreaction so what people are so uncomfortable with the idea of us having to do anything for our salvation which is true because salvation is a gift right that they take out all anything that we can do so they've overreacted to it if that makes sense well it does make sense but i think on a on a personal level it, it's more important than that isn't it it's more important because we should be striving to be better, um, and it, and it lets us off the hook from striving to be better, so we can um, look at some teenage years. Um, we can continue to nick those bars of chocolate in the shop on the way to school, um, because it's right. Because I'm a Christian, I got yeah. confirmed a couple of years ago, so Jesus died for that. I I won't be punished for it in an eternal in an eternal way. Exactly. And I, and, well, he won't be punished in an eternal way because it allows us to stay in an immature understanding of our own faith. Yeah, it's very big. I think we're doing it not uh we're not doing it a good. We're doing a bit of a disservice there in some ways. I think it is a bit more sophisticated than that. But I think the thing... Do you think we're picking on it because neither of us really like it? Yeah, I think so. I think my big problem with it is, if I'm honest, is it's not to do with love. This is my take on it. Is the passion is so emotionally draining uh, on us, or should be, because it shows us the immense love that God has for us and the lengths that he goes to in order to draw us to himself. And I think sometimes with penal substitution, it reduces the cross down to some kind of transaction that can be forgotten about. So for me, I think it takes a lot of the love and the the deep desire God has for us that we see on the cross and reduces it down to a transaction. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, but but I think I think all of the theorists put something transactional in there, don't they? Yeah, but I think this one particularly reduces does. it down to the transaction. Yeah, yeah, I and I think as well, it sometimes can be distorted into this sort of thing where it's almost as if we we love God because He's not going to kill us. So it's that sort of thing where Jesus took the the pain for me, Jesus took this for me, so then I don't have to be afraid of God. Well, if God loves us, then why would why we have to be afraid? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that what we see on the cross is God's desperate attempt to draw us towards himself, and our response to that is to kill him because we don't want to be with him because he's not the God we want him to be, and he's not the person we want. And I think it takes away that 
command really to reflect who are we in the in Holy Week. What is our responsibility? Yeah. So how does the third theory fit in them? Well, the third theory is the uh, theory that uh, Christos Exemplar, I think it's called, isn't it? Mm. Is where Christ, in forgiving people on the cross, forgives all people. So the cross shows the world that God loves them. So we can be assured that God loves us because no matter what we do, we are forgiven because we can't be any worse than the people that killed his son. But this one strikes much more of a chord right through the ministry of Jesus. Yeah. Because this one shows us that that Christ came to show us to not only put through this, this atonement on the cross, but to actually makes his three years of ministry a bit more important in the uh, in the action itself. Are we saying we this is one we like? <laughs> I, I think I think it's the one that I lean to most where I am in my journey of following Christ. And I and I think when I submitted my essay for it and only got a mid fifties mark, um it did say in there that um that to some extent all three could could be true at the same time. They don't it doesn't necessarily only have to be one action that took part. Um and it might be that different people, um, it, it happened in different ways for different people at different times. Possibly. Yeah, I think that's, um, there's some truth And it's a that. part of a dynamic relationship between God, Jesus and ourselves that that, that carries on. I, I think they're all a bit rubbish, to be fair. Um, so think, uh, what is the, um, the, the how the nerdy vicar take on... on um, you can't say they're all rubbish, not buy into one and then not offer an alternative. Yeah, well, I've got an alternative. Well, it's not my alternative. I think I think they're all sort of, what I understand them as, ways of praying. Okay, so each one of them has some truth in them. And I take them as forms of meditation that we can enter into to understand deeper the love God has for us. So at the end of the day, how Jesus saves us is a mystery but we enter into that mystery through these three different theories. So I think that's where they're useful, is in a, a meditation or a prayer or a hymn or worship. And then that way we have to focus on each three equally, even if we're not very comfortable with some of them, if you see what I mean. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think that that way... I think that can... was a more articulate way of saying what I said in my essay. And if I'd have known you when I wrote it, I might have got a, a higher 50s mark instead of a mid 50s. Maybe. I think what, what I'd subscribe to really is uh, there's a fantastic book called um, uh, it's Jorgen Moltmann's Crucified God. Um, it's uh, a response to the Holocaust from uh, yeah. Christian theology, really. And what he says is that the cross defeats evil because evil always traps us into vicious circles so personally we can get trapped into vicious circles of negativity through hating people and then wanting revenge on them we can do it as a community where we enter into various different vicious circles and negative behavior and the whole of society is encapsulated in vicious circles of negative behavior uh, systemic racism is a good example of that yeah. for example right so what Moltmann says is that what Jesus does 
through forgiving the people who uh, crucify him and satisfying the anger of God, he breaks that vicious circle. And in his resurrection, he shows us for next week, he shows that the, a new life is possible and a new world is possible today and in the future. And in the past. And in the past, yeah. So that's what I buy into really more than anything else, is this idea of Christ's crucifixion and the whole story of Jesus really breaks these vicious circles and brings new life into the world. And that's really how I practically practice my ministry in enabling people through the grace of God to break these vicious circles, myself included. Yeah. I think that's what... Yeah. So so what we're really saying is that whether or not you fully buy into any of the... Uh any of those three atonement theories or you can't quite get on board with any of them then actually the the unrecognized the the undisputed truth is that something fundamentally happened with jesus dying on the cross that should and did and does affect the way that we live and the way that we interact with others um yeah and the way that we interact with god i think i think the the thing that's probably i find most helpful sometimes is the idea of of jesus being the new adam and we can have a new uh new life a new birth i know this is easter but you can't really separate the two and i love the way that uh eve is made from adam's rib isn't it so that men and women are he didn't have a cracked rib at the time though. he didn't not your rib no, he had a decent one right yeah but they were men and women are made to be together, right? As complementing each other as humanity together, yeah. right? And when Jesus is stabbed in the side and water and blood come out, that shows that the church is born from Jesus' side in the same way that Eve is born from Adam's rib and the fuel of us in the church is water of baptism and the blood of the Eucharist. And through that, poured out of Jesus' side, we can uh, transform the world to make a new Adam and a new world. A new Adam, a new Eve, a new a world. A new world. So that's what... And a new beginning, but that's the next podcast. That's the next podcast. Don't... We won't do it. So in the next bit, we're going to talk about the cleaner. And you picked the Christmas episode? Well, I picked the Christmas episode because it, it was good. And it was an easy one to point you to, because I didn't think the first one was the best one. Um, but yeah, it was good. Okay. Well, we'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah. So thanks for listening to those Vicar Blokes. You see that Dave didn't do his own work in the last section. Naughty boy, Dave. You have to write that a hundred line, hundred times now. I must read up on atonement theories. I must read up on atonement theories. Do you know, I had a conversation this week where I said that I never had a detention for not doing my own work, even though I never did my own work. And I feel like I've just got one for the first time ever. So thanks for that. You've got an OTR. That's what they say in Lydia's school. So please subscribe to the those Vicar Blokes by clicking follow or subscribe or search Google for those Vicar Blokes. Right, so we're back now. So Dave asked me to watch the Christmas episode on in Holy Week, right? 
the Christmas episode of something called The Cleaner, which is a BBC comedy. You like these BBC I comedies, do like don't you? B- yeah, because I've got a sense of humour. Oh, yeah, okay. Whereas you just like blood, guts and violence. I well, do like I blood, do guts like and violence. to make me laugh. Oh. <laughs> but it wasn't... I know it was the Christmas episode, but it wasn't exactly Christmassy, was it? Not, Not really. really. Not really. Anyway, so basically this cleaner guy, who's Greg Davis... Wiki. Wiki. He's Greg Davis, who plays Greg Davis, in it? Um, he's from Wem, he is. He's from what? Oh, you don't know where Wem is. Wem is the town that's next door to Market Drake. Well, that was a band with with um, George Michael, wasn't no, it? No, Wem, Wem is this... Uh, oh, no, that was Wham, wasn't it? Wham, yeah. Wem is a, is a town next to Market Drake where he used to live. So it's uh, not... They would say themselves, it, it, not many people go in and out of Wem, to be fair. So Greg right. Davis is their thing. Anyway, so Greg Davis is a cleaner who goes to crime scenes to clean up. There's a film about that as well called Rainbow Cleaning Company, which is... Oh, I've crazy. never seen that. Yes, But got... he's not just a cleaner. He's no. a crime scene cleaner. Crime scene cleaner, And he yeah. puts it that way several times in every episode. And he, he's cleaning this... It's a, it's a kind of ice cream parlour. It's it? an ice cream parlour, yeah, where the, uh, where the owner's been killed. And he's he's trying to uh, he's arguing about going round to see his dad on Christmas Day because he doesn't want to see his dad because he don't get on with his dad, isn't it? And with he's... his sister who doesn't ever listen to a word he says. Yeah, she's horrible. She is. Well, she's, she's really horrible. She's typical, isn't she? I don't, I don't, I don't know. My sister's not like her. <laughs> well, I've got a sister, but I mean, she's. When I say I don't mean she's like everybody, but I mean she's one of those people that has an agenda that they're trying to put across to somebody, so they don't listen to a, a single word that comes out of the mouth of the person. Yeah, it's always about their agenda, never because you know when we get further into the episode and he's locked in the freezer. Yeah, he has to ring her for help, and she doesn't. She don't listen. Doesn't do anything. They don't listen but, at all. Yeah, so he's cleaning up this crime scene, and then this lad turns up and we introduce himself as Robert Kendrick. We had to look that up, and that we had to look up. We we remembered his name was Robert, but we couldn't remember he was called Kendrick. Could but we? He's nothing to do with that him guy, though, is he? No, he's not. He's nothing to do with Graham Kendrick. No. Yeah, he's a he's a fictional character who's autistic, and he just talks to. He's that him guy who we who we talked about earlier because he wrote. Did he write in Christ alone? Don't know. Not don't sure. know. That might have been him. Might have been him. He did write loads of hymns yeah. and stuff. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So he wrote well, "Shine, Jesus, Shine." Yeah, that always makes me think of my dad. That does. Does it? Yeah, because my dad is bald, as I'm getting bald, and locally was known as Johnny Shine. And uh, when I was in school, they brought it in, and everyone used to sing "Shine, Johnny Shine." Right. So it was always a bit like so it always makes me think of <laughs> okay. that. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> I can't help it. <laughs> it's just yeah. Yeah, oh, we get down so many little avenues of, of rubbish in this podcast. Yeah, yeah, go back to this bloke, Robert Kendrick. Anyway, so he talks to uh, Greg Davis. He goes in there, and because he's autistic, he just makes no sense, does he? Really, he's just like really kind of. He makes a lot of sense, does he? Yeah, he makes loads of sense. I mean, did you get the point where he goes in there? Yeah, yeah. So he goes every in every week, Sunday. Same time. Every Sunday he goes in there and he's got this very specific ritual that he's got to go through where he has to have a certain uh, ice cream made for him by... Because he's a valued customer, isn't he? A valued a, customer, yeah. Yeah. And then he finds out that the reason he does it is because his father abandoned him and he thinks that if he keeps on going to this ice cream parlour every Sunday that eventually his dad will pick him up and uh, will take him back, isn't it? Yeah, because his dad told him he would, basically. Yeah. He'd come back for him. He had to go away for work, but he'd be back for him. Um, so he had this same ice cream every Sunday, 
at the same time and they'd always get the same bus home mm. um so they so he thinks it, it that's where his dad knows where to find him yeah so it's really sad actually I it's mean, I a, yeah really tragic side to the story um because poor robert kendrick is living in this hope that his dad's going to turn up and and we we all know really early on that his dad spun him a line and he's never going to turn up yeah that's the really sad part, really, you know. And uh, then eventually, um, Greg Davis goes downstairs and locks himself in the freezer, and he tries to ring up uh, Robert Kendrick to help him, but he can't. He won't go past the red line. He won't go past the red line. No, no customers beyond this point, sort of line, isn't it? And yeah. So he's like, "Oh, I'm not allowed past the red line." And he won't phone nine 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 because it's breaking the rules. No, right? not he, because his dad told him that he shouldn't. Talk to the police because they'd come and take him away if he spoke to the police. So he's, so he's held on to that. But know. his dad has completely manipulated him um, to con- to control him in order to run away, basically, and for him never to find him. It well, wasn't really a comedy program, was it? It was really sad. Well, it's it's half a comedy and half a tragedy, isn't it? It's, yeah, it's so BBC. I mean, Shakespeare, eat your heart out because <laughs> you know where are we with this? But um, well, it's, I think it's so Greg Davis. Yeah, I think it's yeah. brilliantly written because what it does is it gives us an insight into people's lives. And through the series, they all come from different backgrounds, but this guy happens to be the autistic one. And it shows us um, the power of listening because his sister's got a chance to save him from the freezer and she doesn't because she doesn't listen. It shows us the the damage that words can do um, because this Robert Kendrick is completely damaged in effect by the words of his dad from the lies that his dad's told him um and all right yeah he probably had a really fulfilling relationship with the guy who owned the ice cream parlor um and you know they he refers to him as friends but even so there's that hope he's hanging on to a hope that's not realistic yeah he is and i think i think what i found with it really which was really quite touching in some ways is that Greg Davis's character didn't want to listen because he was getting so frustrated with him all the time. But he ended up listening to him and actually being present with him. And through just being present with this lad, Robert Kendrick, he actually was able to transform his life. Well, yeah. So all the way through the series, he's really curious about people's stories, really curious about them. And he spends time with all of these people through the series um, getting to know them as he's cleaning up the crime scenes, and then there's always a, a reimagination of what comes out of that. Yeah, it's the power really of just being there with someone, and it did make me think of uh, Holy Week when I was thinking about how Jesus comes to be with us and is present with us in our suffering, because no matter what we suffer we can know that Christ understands in a deep and physical and visceral level what it is to be abandoned, what it is to be humiliated, what it is to experience physical pain, what it is to experience injustice. Yeah. And he, Jesus is present with us in those moments in our lives where uh, we experience those things. And I think that's far more powerful than magic in a way uh, injustice or magic in a way pain 
because pain is a is a reality that we have to live with as human beings. Yeah. So you can't just magic it away. But like Greg Davis, Christ is Christ sort of makes it bearable by his presence. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, he's 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 there when there's nobody there. Yeah. You know. And he's the last backstop, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think and he's and he comes along and cleans up the mess. He comes along and cleans up the mess that we've made, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. And that shows us in ministry, I suppose, a lot of our ministry is not about providing practical help. A lot of it is. Some of it is. Some of it is. Some of it is. But really, the great privilege, I think, of priesthood is to be with people and be the person who has no power to sort it out. But we have the ability to be there. Yeah. Yeah, being present when the times are tough. Yeah. But like we're not like social workers and things. We can't... I'm pointing to hope in the form of Jesus Christ. Yeah, and we do that not by saying anything, I think, a lot of the time, or we shouldn't really most of the time. It's actually just about, in being there, we provide that hope. Well, that's the aim. Well. Uh, well, I, I don't know, I don't know, when I say it's the aim, I don't think we go in, into any situation thinking that's the case. We just go, hopefully, where we're called to be, and be what we're called to be. Um, and And... Um, we live uh, hoping that we bring some assurance to people and yeah. some comfort. Yeah, well, I think be watching Greg Davis in the program, he did strike me a bit like a priest when he was sat down talking with him. Is it? It, it can feel a bit like that sometimes. <laughs> yeah, well, it can feel a bit like that. Yeah, and and, and I I think that's probably why I like the series so much because I think that um, he is playing a a role that is. It's not crime scene cleaner, but it's actually um, much more fundamentally important than that to people in their lives when he when he interacts with them through the series. But what you're really saying is that even though it was the Christmas episode, it had so many tones for Easter that it was a good choice. Um, uh, go on then. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thanks very much. Yeah. Even though it was the Christmas episode, we'll let you off. Yeah. It was. It was. But it wasn't that Christmassy, I'll give you. No, yeah, it wasn't that it wasn't Christmassy. Christmassy. I did say that. Yeah, okay. Brilliant. So next week we'll be talking about Easter, what the meaning of Easter is. And Dave's going to be on holidays, so we're doing a double recording today. So hopefully we should yeah, be Yeah, okay. we're recording on a Wednesday and not a Friday, which is unusual as well. Yeah. Because we're both quite busy on Friday, aren't we? Because it's Good Friday. Yeah, I can't think about what we're doing then, right? Uh, yeah, so we're doing that. Well, I'm going to watch the Rovers, they're at home. What, on Good Friday? On Good Friday, yeah. Is that going to be a suffering, suffering experience, is it? Yeah, well, it's always suffering, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> By ten past three, we'll probably be 2-0 down with a man sent off. So, um, yeah, it'll be suffering. But, no, I do have a 9.15 and a 10.30 service to lead before I go and watch, the Rovers, go and watch the Rovers. Yeah. For your penance. Yeah. Your Good Friday penance. Pay my price. Yeah, for watching it. Uh, yeah, I don't know what I'm doing on Good Friday, I think. Um, Surely you're working. Well, other than working, I'm no, doing the... You can never tell with you. Oh, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, anyway. Uh, so next week we'll be talking about Easter and we'll be talking about um, the news and we'll be talking about a documentary that's just come out called A Very British Cult. Yes. That's very good. 
So we'll see you. Have a nice, have a lovely Easter, and we'll see you at the end of the Easter octave, just to get it right. Okay. The Easter octave. Yeah. No, we're we're all tridium, not octave. No, no. There's the Easter Dave, There's the Easter octave. Maybe you can explain it to me in the next. Part. I'll explain to you in the next episode, Dave. You you you're a fail at uh, being an Anglo-Catholic. Thanks very much. Thank you.